0: Well, of a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we first met the law in the Heidelberg Catechism way at the beginning, in Lord's Day 2. And we were reminded and taught there that the law confronts us with who we are, the law teaches us our sin, and that drives us to Christ. And now we're in the third part of the Catechism, the the part about thankfulness. But we were reminded last week, again, of that one function of the law, that it it drives us to become aware of our sinful nature. Look at question answer 115. And therefore to seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. That that function of the law continues in the Christian life as the law exposes our sins. And exposes our need for the Lord Jesus, exposes the need for washing, cleansing, and forgiveness, and an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not ours, but which comes from somewhere else, which comes from him. And so if there's one thing which the Bible teaches and which the church confesses very clearly, it is this, that it is impossible for us to keep The law. And that drives us, as we've already said, to Jesus, to seek forgiveness, to seek his righteousness. But it also drives us to do something else. And we talked about that last Sunday as well. In the last part of question and answer 115, it also drives us to ask God not for justification, not just for righteousness and washing and cleansing and forgiveness, but it drives us to ask God to work in us that new life that we so desperately long for, that that, that renewal, that transformation from glory to glory after the image of Christ. And so it's important to remember that from A to Z, from the beginning to the end, the way of salvation is a sovereign work of God. Also, our sanctification, our growing in holiness, is a sovereign work of God. And he gets all the glory for it. The holier we get, the more glory he gets. It's not us. It's not our merit. It's not our trying in our own strength. It's God. And that means, very simply, that if you want to be holy, if I want to be holy, we need God's grace and Holy Spirit. So what do we see here in the Catechism? Look at question 115, the last paragraph. While praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we keep striving to be renewed. And then in 8 45, we confess, well, God is only going to give his grace and Holy Spirit if we constantly, and with heartfelt longing, ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. In other words, it's, it takes more than just saying once in your life, I'm a sinner, I did the sinner's prayer, now I'm a Christian, Lord, make me a good person, and that's it. No, it's a It's a continual striving in prayer, pleading with God to work in us the power of the life to come. And so prayer, our prayer life, is intimately connected with our progress in holiness. And if sometimes we might wonder, why am I not progressing in holiness? Then perhaps, instead of saying, what am I not doing enough? Where am I not striving enough? Perhaps we need in the first place to ask, how is my prayer life? So now the catechism... In Lord's Day forty-five and the following Lord's Days, is going to examine and explain line by line, phrase by phrase, the Lord's Prayer, which our Savior taught us in Matthew chapter seven and in Luke chapter eleven. And one of the first questions we should ask is: is Why? Why should we pray? Why is prayer necessary? And remember, we're in the third part of the catechism, and those three words which help us remember the three parts is guilt, grace, and gratitude. We're in the gratitude part of the Catechism. And, and we confess that prayer is the, is the most important part of that gratitude, of that thankfulness. It's the, the core of a life of thankfulness. Now, isn't that, isn't that rather strange? Wouldn't we expect that if we want to show God that we're thankful for what the Lord Jesus has done, that the core of a life of thankfulness would be doing things. Not just talking, but doing. Well, a life of thankfulness does include doing. I mean, we just went through the Ten Commandments. That's in the third part of the Catechism. But the power of the doing comes through the prayer. So the law for the Christian without the prayer is like a a beautiful new car without any gas. It may look nice, but it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to work. And you remember, hopefully, somewhat, when we had that sermon on Psalm 50 back around Thanksgiving. Remember what the Lord says there in Psalm 50 about outward religious acts, even if they're all perfect and exactly in accordance with the word of God, but in themselves, without heart, and without a prayerful spirit, they're an offense to God. Look at verse 14 of chapter 50 of the book of Psalms, verses 14 and 15. He he first says, you know, I'm not going to rebuke you, You're, you're doing all the right things. You're doing all the right rituals, but you're doing it as if I depended on that. I, I, I'm not hungry. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. And then he says in verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will, you shall glorify me. And so, foundational to the Christian life is not in the first place doing great things for God. The essence of the Christian life is rather that God has done great things for us, and we live a life of prayerful thankfulness and dependence. And so we might think of a little three-year-old who has just run out onto the road, into the traffic, and mom has rushed out to scoop up the little toddler or the little child and bring him safely back to the sidewalk. That was a frightening experience. And the last thing that mom wants to hear now is the little child say, Thanks, Mom. Now leave me alone. I'm going to go show you that I can cross the road by myself. That's not where Mom wants to be. That's not what she wants to hear. She wants those little arms wrapped tight around her neck. And she wants her little one to say, Mommy, please help me cross the road. Because I can't do it by myself. That's what she wants to hear. And that's where we need to be. Like little children totally dependent on our heavenly father, acknowledging that we are absolutely incapable or incapable and reaching out to him for help. See, the essence of sin, of course, you remember in the garden, the essence of sin was to say, God, we don't need you. We can figure things out ourselves. And so the essence of life in Christ and the essence of a life of thankfulness is to say, Lord, oh, we do need you indeed. And we can't live without you. That's why prayer is the chief part of thankfulness. But then the question may come up. Well, doesn't God know everything? God is omniscient. He knows everything. So why should we pray? Before a word is on our lips, he knows it altogether, says the psalmist. He is sovereign he is omniscient. He has ordained the end from the beginning. So why should we bother informing God about things that he already knows? He knows us. He knows our needs better than we know ourselves. Well, look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 6 for a moment. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. Just before the Lord teaches the disciples the Lord's prayer, he says something very important in this respect. He says, don't be like the Gentiles going on and on and on. 6 verse 8 of Matthew, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The Lord Jesus knows very well that he knows what we need before we ask God. And then he goes and says, pray then like this. And he tells us to pray. So the Lord Jesus tells us that he knows that Father knows everything before we ask. And then he goes right ahead and he says, well, and therefore go pray. So what's the answer? Why should we pray if God knows everything? Well, the answer is this, because God told us to. That's the simplest answer. And throughout the scripture, starting with the Garden of Eden we learn very quickly what happens when we don't listen to what God says. It hurts. What does the apostle say to the Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. That's what God tells us to do. And so we say, okay, that's what we're going to do. And why is that? Why do we need to pray without ceasing? Well, our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't happen through our hard work. But our growth in the the new life that we have in Christ comes by the grace of God. And so the question is, or the question is not rather, are you doing the right things? Are you performing the right actions to make sure that the doors of heaven stay open for you? That's not the question. The question is rather, are you plugged into the transforming power of God? Are you connected to the Lord Jesus? Now, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, you see the apostle speaks about in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Your faith is a gift of God. Love is a gift of God poured into our hearts, Romans chapter 5. And the working is from God. Paul says, it wasn't me, but the Holy Spirit, but God working in me, the Spirit of God working in me. So faith working through love is sovereign grace, sovereign grace, sovereign grace operating in our lives. What does it look like? Well, look at verse 13 of Galatians 5. You're called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what faith working through love looks like what is it well look at verse 14 the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself what does faith working through love look like it looks like this keeping the law of God well how are we going to do that how are we going to keep the law of God how are we going to love God love our neighbor well the apostle if we look at Galatians 5 again he, he kind of reminds us of what our lives look like when we depend on our own abilities and our own efforts. He says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you're not consumed. That's what, that's what we look like without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. When we're trying hard to be good people, we bite, devour, we hate one another, and we are hated. Look at verse 19. More description of what we're like When we are not being led by the Spirit, but we are trying to live by the law in our own efforts. And there's a horrible list there, isn't there? The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and a whole bunch of very unpleasant things. That's the best we can come up with. With our own strength. With our own attempts to grow in sanctification. That's the best we can come up with. But then look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What happens when it's the Spirit-working newness of life in us? When it's the Spirit-working sanctification in us? Well, look at verse 22. Then we will see the fruit of the Spirit. We will see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to really emphasize this. I know I'm saying it over and over, but it's important to say over and over. These are not things we can try to improve in our lives. We can't work hard at being more loving. We can't work hard at having more joy. These are things that come from the Spirit of God. That only He can work in our lives and in our hearts. And that's our only hope, isn't it? If we want to keep the law, even as converted and regenerate and justified children of God... If we want to keep the law out of thankfulness, we can't. Only if the Spirit works it in us. And so that's where prayer and the law are so intimately connected. And that's why we confess here in Laws A 45 that we need to constantly, with heartfelt longing, ask God for His grace and Holy Spirit and Thank him for these gifts. And so what happens? What happens when we do that? Well, when we ask God to graciously make our faith work through love, when we ask him to do it in us, what is his answer going to be? Well, look at Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you turn in your Bible to Luke 11, verse 13, the Lord Jesus tells us the answer. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If we ask constantly and with heartfelt longing for God's grace and Holy Spirit, we know what the answer will always be. God delights to give these gifts. To his children so that's why we should pray and then the question is how how should we pray and the the continues in question answer 117 to speak about that we should pray to god as he has revealed himself in his word that's important not praying to god according to some image that we have in our mind a lot of people that consider themselves christians think of God as a Santa Claus in the sky with twinkling eyes and who pretends not to look at the bad things we're doing and who just loves to hear our our present requests. Lord, I want another job. Lord, I want a new car. Lord, I need a new dishwasher. And there's this Santa Claus in the sky that's like, oh, you know, I'm just writing down these notes on my list and I'm just delighted. Just rub the lamp and I'm the genie that pops out to Fulfill all of your heart's desires. We can't be doing that. We need to know who we're praying to. The holy God of the scriptures. And we need to pray to him as the scriptures instruct us to pray to him. And normally, as a rule, there are some exceptions, but normally that means praying to the Father in the name of the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. We see that, for instance, if we look at John 16, verse 23. If you open your Bible to John 16, 23, we'll see two of those things are listed there. 16:23 of John says this, "In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The Lord Jesus is telling us in Oh, I was going to say black and white, but I've got a red letter Bible. But the Lord Jesus tells us here clearly that we pray to the Father in his name. And that's the way in which God delights to answer our prayers. So to the Father in the name of Christ. And then look at Jude chapter 1 verse 20. If you turn right to the end of the Bible, Jude verse 20. Where where Jude says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So those are the three things, praying to the Father in the name of the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Now, like I said, there can be some exceptions. We even have a hymn, for instance, where we address, we pray to the Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, we address When we sing psalms or hymns, we're praying and we address that prayer, that sung prayer to the Lord Jesus. And that can happen in an exceptional and occasional manner. But the Bible teaches us that the regular way is to pray to the Father. That's how the Lord Jesus prayed. He prayed to the Father. That's how he taught his disciples to pray, our Father. That's how the Apostle Paul always prays, praying to the Father. So that's who we should pray to to God as he's revealed in his word. And then for all that he has commanded us to pray, we confess. For all that he has commanded us to pray. Did you know that there is one prayer that God always answers positively? There's no exceptions. He will always say yes to this one prayer. And we find it if we look at Luke 22:42. If you open your Bible to Luke 22:42, it's important if you do have your Bible to look up these texts so you don't just take my word for it, but you see it right in the scripture. So in Luke 22:42, the Lord Jesus is praying and he says, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours." be done and that prayer God always answers yes to when we say lord not my will your will be done your will be done and god will always do according to his holy and sovereign and perfect and good will and so we see that in in the first letter of john as well if you turn your bible to 1 john 5:14 1 John five fourteen, where the apostle writes, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that means that our life of prayer needs to be a life of deep and constant study of the scripture, because it is through the scriptures that we come to know the will of God. If we want to pray rightly for the things that he has commanded us to pray, if we want to pray to him and ask things according to his will, we need to know the scriptures. And I would say that there is no one in this church, starting with the man here in the pulpit, who spends enough time in the Word. I think we all have a lot of room to grow in studying and coming to know the Word and the will of God. So what has God commanded us to pray for? Well, we we see that in question answer 118, all things necessary for body and soul as, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. And what has he taught us to pray for? Well, he's taught us to pray for the glory of God, for the advance of his kingdom, for wisdom and discernment to know and do his will, for our daily needs so that we can do the work he calls us to, for healing and restoration and forgiveness and grace and reconciliation and help and the fight against sin and the devil and the world, everything we need for body and soul. And the Lord's Prayer is a simple summary of those things a simple prayer but very very comprehensive and as we go through the next lord's days we'll see how each little phrase has a world of meaning behind it there are many things that we're praying for when we say those short phrases and you know if we want more details about what is a prayer which is pleasing to god Then we can read the Psalms. The Psalms are prayers. And throughout the Psalter, the psalmists are crying out to God and praying to Him for these exact things that the Lord Jesus is enumerating and listing in the Lord's Prayer. So the Psalms are a wonderful guide for our prayers. So, what should we expect when we pray? What should we expect to happen? How should we expect God to react? Sometimes we may think, you know what? Will God bother to hear me? I mean, I'm such a sinner. And look at how I've lived in the last day, the last week. Look at the things in which I've displeased my Lord. Look at how slow I am to grow in holiness. Does God even want to hear my prayer? Maybe we can feel that is unworthy that we don't even dare to approach God well we are sinners but when we come to God with a broken heart then we can be assured that God hears us, if you look at Psalm fifty-one seventeen, David has come to understand that he's done some terrible sins, he committed adultery and then murdered somebody can't get much worse than that and what does he say in verse 17 he, he knows he can't make it right there's nothing he can do to make himself more palatable or more attractive to god and more acceptable there's nothing he can do so he realizes that the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O god you will not despise god will always hear our prayers if we come to him with a broken and contrite heart. And when we do that, then we can ask and we can pray with certainty. James says in chapter 1 of his letter that when we pray, we need to ask in faith, not doubting. We should be praying and saying, well, Lord, okay, I, I'm asking this, but I'm really not sure if you're even going to hear me if or if you're even going to answer me. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. How can, we, how can we do that? How can we be so sure that God will answer us? If we're these broken sinners, these, these unworthy sinners, these, these broken spirits and broken and contrite hearts, what basis is there for us to be sure that God is going to bother to answer us? Or well, look at what we confess. In 117 of the Catechism, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord. Because of Jesus. It's based on Him. It's through Him. It's in Him. What did He say in John 16? We read that before. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. And so we can have certainty that God hears and that God answers the prayers of his broken and sinful children, even when we come to him with great sadness and shame because of our sins. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm not a very good prayer. I don't know how to pray very well. And the Apostle Paul anticipates that objection in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. What does he say? He says, when we pray and we're kind of, the, the words are kind of stuttering out of our mouths and we don't really know how to pray. Then he says in Romans 8 26, the spirit himself intercedes for us. So we have help we may think, wow, I, 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 how come I always end up using the same words? And how come I can't really express the anguish or the, the longings of my heart? And, and sometimes we're praying and we may be praying quietly and we're not even quite sure what we're praying because we don't know how to choose the words to describe what we want to say to God. But the Lord says, be at peace. My spirit understands you. My spirit is interceding for you. And so the word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this boldness, this confidence. We can walk into the very throne room of heaven without fear, just confident that we are acceptable in the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God loves us that's what you need to know child of God no matter how much guilt you feel because of your sins you need to know that you are loved by God in Christ that you are accepted that you belong that you can run to the arms of your father even though we may feel like that prodigal son sometimes and we say Lord I'm really not worthy to be your child But he runs to embrace us and to receive us. You know, we can be certain that God is always ready to receive our prayers, to hear us, and to attend to our cries. If there's a great king, and I think I've used this example before, if there's a great king sleeping in his palace at 3 a.m., who would dare to walk straight to his bedroom bang open the door, walk up to his bed, shake his shoulder, and say, hey, give me a glass of water. Who would dare to do that to the great king, a great emperor? No one, except his little four-year-old daughter, right? The, the daughter of the king, she can waltz into his bedroom at any time, day or night, and he will receive her, and he will attend to her because he loves her. And that's the way that God receives us. You will always receive us. So Christian, you have the new life. You have the power which drives that new life of thankful holiness. That that power is prayer. A life of gratitude is a life of prayer. Those things go together. What does does Paul say to the Ephesians in chapter 6? He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's the way of life of the believer. A constant communication with the Father. Constant. You ever have it that your internet goes down? And everybody in the the house gets really discombobulated because suddenly they can't see their emails and their Facebook and... And life just seems to grind to a halt. We need that connection. Well, prayer is even more important than that. Prayer needs to be even more constant and connected than our desire for internet connectedness. The the Bible tells us praying at all times, praying unceasingly, personal prayer and corporate prayer, Prayer out loud and prayer silently in our hearts. Prayer when we get up. Prayer when we walk along the road. Prayer before we eat, after we eat, while we're eating. Prayer when we go to sleep. Prayer when we're working. Prayer when we're enjoying the glories of creation. Prayer with our wife or with our husband. Prayer with our children and our parents in family worship. Prayer with the saints gathered in public worship. Spoken prayer. Sung prayer. A life of unceasing prayer, that's the life of the Christian. Because a life of thankfulness is a life of holiness. And a life of holiness is a life of prayer. Now, hearing all this, you may think, wow, I'm not sure I measure up to this standard. I'm not sure I live a life of unceasing prayer. My prayer life needs a lot of work. Maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. Maybe I need to go full-on legalistic and make all kinds of rules for how many minutes I'm going to pray and at what time of the day I'm going to pray. Maybe I need to really buckle down and sweat and work hard to be a better Christian, to be a better prayer. Please, no. Don't leave this service or don't take this message in that way. If we want to cultivate prayer the whole point is is that we can't do it by trying harder we need to ask it's that simple we need to ask constantly we need to ask with heartfelt longing we need to ask god god help me to ask Help me to ask constantly. Help me to ask with heartfelt longing. And when we ask, when we plead with God, even with our broken and stuttering and stammering little prayers, when we just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, work that in me, then he will. Then he will make us praying people and a praying church. So we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to God. And when we do that, when we live in that way, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.